thank you so much for all of those who have sung and led us in worship today. Take your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 5 this morning. 1 John chapter 5, so much of the music today has certainly uh, backed up the Word of God and what we'll be looking at, just two simple verses. We sang together, when I fight, I will fight on what? My knees. And I wonder, are we truly practicing that? because that's where the battle lies. The battle is just really fought on our knees, and that's where we need to be. Isaac Newton said this. Isaac Newton, one of the greatest scientists ever lived, he said this, and I quote, he said, I can take my telescope and look millions and millions of miles into space, but I can take that same telescope, put it down, go into my room, shut the door, get on my knees in earnest prayer, and I see more of heaven and get closer to God than when assisted by all the telescopes in the world. Friend, uh, prayer is God's passport to a whole new realm of life. Let me say that again. Prayer is God's passport to a whole new realm of life. John now comes to the end of a short little epistle called 1 John. He comes to the end, and there's only a few messages left, maybe two. But as he comes to the end of the chapter, of chapter 5, the last one, he deals with a matter that is so familiar to most Christians, and yet sometimes is neglected in ways that we would be shocked, wouldn't we? And that area is the area of prayer. Read with me in 1 John chapter 5 verse 14 and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will he heareth us and if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him John begins by speaking about the perception of prayer. It's interesting that three times previously in this short little epistle, three times he talks about confidence before the Lord. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, he talks about how that we can have confidence at his coming. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 21, it says we can have t- confidence toward God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, he talks about how we can have confidence in the day of judgment. And now he begins or ends by speaking about how you and I can have confidence in prayer. One characteristic that, as you read the book of Acts, that you find in the early Christians. In the book of Acts, man, if you want to get excited about the Bible, read the book of Acts. I mean, you just, it's an action-packed book. It's, it's really uh, uh, the church age and how it begins and the things that happen and, man, how exciting it is. But I'm telling you there's something that you find in the book of Acts, and that is that the early Christians were constantly praying about boldness. Let me ask you a question. Are you very bold in Jesus Christ? Are you very bold when it comes to taking your stand, serving the Lord? How about as you go off to college? How about as you take another step, another stage? Are you bold for Jesus Christ? I didn't say obnoxious. I said bold. 
do you take your stand for the Lord? Well, he speaks about being bold in prayer. So I want to give to you three reasons that you and I can come boldly into the throne room of God. I mean, it's an amazing thing, right? That you and I can go boldly into the throne room of God. And he gives us three reasons of why we can. Number one is because of our acceptance. Our acceptance. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says, Having therefore, notice the next word, brethren. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus has opened up the way for you and for me to go boldly into the throne room of God. Now, it says in verse 14, if you'll notice, this is the confidence that we have in him. The first question is, I kind of strive to do my Bible study, I would encourage you to pick apart some of the words. And one of the words is the word we. Who in the world is that? Is that anybody? Is that everybody? And the answer to that is no. It refers back to verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe in the name of the Son of God. So verse 14, speaking about boldness in prayer, reverts back to the we in verse 13. So if you are a child of God, if you know Jesus as your Savior, If you know that you're on your way to heaven, then you can go boldly before the throne of heaven because you are accepted by him. I love Ephesians chapter 1. The whole chapter talks about being accepted. You know what the problem with many young people? They don't feel accepted. They feel accepted in this group or maybe a small group, but they don't feel accepted in there. And oftentimes that carries on through life. Let me tell you where you are accepted. You are accepted before the throne room of an almighty God. And in Ephesians chapter 1, he talks about how we are accepted in the beloved. Now, what's the word accepted mean? It means to be uh, received willingly. The word accepted there means to be valued. It means to be esteemed. It means to take pleasure in. Think about that. We are taking pleasure. God takes pleasure in the child of God. So when we come to him in prayer, we come not as a citizen going before a president. We, when we go to the Lord in prayer, we don't come like a subject going before a king. We don't go like a servant coming before a master. We come like a son or a daughter going before a father. What an amazing thing that is. Why can you go boldly to God in prayer? Because you're accepted by God if you're a child of God. But there's a second thing we notice, and that is we have access. We have access into the throne room of God. We have the privilege of walking right into the very presence of God. I don't remember what year it was, but New York Giants with... uh, Um, Eli Manning they won the Super Bowl and the very next year I got to go to the Monday night football game Joy and I went with another couple 
and uh, we went to the Monday night football game when the Giants were playing the Cleveland Browns, and, and the Giants had just won the Super Bowl. Playing the Browns? Come on. Browns won, believe it or not. It was the most exciting thing, one of the most exciting games I've ever been to, the most exciting game I've ever been to. I've had the opportunity uh, just because of other people that I know that I've been in the uh, suites a couple times at the Bengals and uh, that's fun and that's enjoyable and I've been able to do a few things like that but nothing was more exciting than that Monday night football game when the Giants were playing the Browns I'll tell you why because we got to park down with all the players under the garage right where they were um, all the giant fans had to, or giant players walked right on past me to get on their bus to go back to their hotel after the game. I, uh, Joy and I got pre-game field passes. So before the game started, we were right down there and we were, you know, they were warming up and, and Joy and I were down there with the other couple and, and uh, you know, I was talking to different guys and and uh, Steve Young, you know, they're over there. By the way, that booth that you see that looks so great on TV, all it is is a desk. They wheel it around, you know, in the middle of the field. And, and I'm there, and I'm talking to Steve Young. My friend introduced me to him, and I'm talking to Young. And true story, uh, I can't remember who he was uh, broadcasting with, but the other guy said, Young, get over here, we're on. And, and here I am talking to him. It was really cool. It was fun. Hey, did, did you know nobody asked me a word of why I, what I was doing down there? Nobody said to me, well, what are you doing down here, man? You don't play. You're not a broadcaster. You're not a coach. Nothing. You know why I, by the way, we got special seating then at the game too. You know why? You say, because you pastor First Baptist Church of Glen Estee. No. Because <laughs> I had a badge. I had an ID. That's it. Nobody asked me one thing. Nobody asked Joy one thing. We walked around, did whatever we wanted. Have you ever heard of the verse, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16? Listen to what it says. Let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. Do you know how and why we can come boldly unto a restricted, privileged throne room of God? Because we have a badge. We have an ID. That ID, by the way, does not have my name on it. That ID does not have your name on it. But rather, it's got a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. His name is the mediator between God and man. His name is, he's your high priest, he's my high priest. So why? Or what purpose or goal is it for us to go to the throne room? For asking. For asking. Prayer is simply talking to God, isn't it? A new convert, they, they get saved and, and thank God for the one that uh, was uh, baptized, the two that were baptized today. What a great story. What a great blessing. And, and they got baptized today. Why? Because they got saved this past week. And oftentimes new believers will say, I, I don't know really how to pray. It's, it's simply talking to God. 
Prayer is simply asking God. Now, prayer is more than just asking. Um, I hope you have a, a way that you pray. It's helped me for umpteen years to just know. I, I use the word Acts, A-C-T-S, like the book of Acts. First thing I do is A is adoration. You remember when I preached that series on the names of God? I took all those names, wrote it in the front of my Bible, and I will uh, just take one of those attributes of God and I'll praise him and adore him for that day. And then the C is confession. Do you have anything to confess about? If you don't, you're kind of blind. We have plenty that we can confess to the Lord. And then the T is thanksgiving. And man, isn't it wonderful to remind yourself of all that you have to be thankful for? Because I can assure you, when you go through the valleys and the deep waters and the torrents of that stream that becomes a rushing water, when you go through it, you better know how to thank God for the things he's done for you. And then the S is supplication, asking. We are to ask. You know what Jesus said? He said, you have not because you ask not. There's the precedence of prayer. We're accepted by God. Because we're accepted by God, we have access into his throne room. And when we get into the throne room, we can ask him to bless and to work and to use. But we come to the prerequisites of prayer. It says in verse 14, if we ask anything, here we go, according to his will. You with me? According to his will. Now, this will confuse you and it will mess you up if you're not careful. The will of God, at times it's conditional. Write this down. Conditional. At times, it's unconditional. What's the difference? Conditional, the conditional will of God is it's going to happen if the conditions are met. Okay? I go to the throne room, I ask, I pray, and it's conditional, the conditional will of God. I will see it happen if certain conditions are met. There's the unconditional will of God. The unconditional will of God, it's going to happen no matter what. No matter what. It is the unconditional will of God. Now, how are we supposed to know whether it's the conditional will of God or the unconditional will of God? We're not going to always know, and so I'm going to pray anyway. Does that make sense? I'm going to pray anyway. I did not know whether it was God's will for joy to be healed or not. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And thank you, all of you, for the way you prayed. God took her home. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. It obviously was the unconditional will of God. And so God took her home, and no matter, I could have prayed 24-7, and with the unconditional will of God... It's going to happen no matter what. There are a number of conditions for answered prayer. Number one, faith. Matthew chapter 21, verse 22, Jesus said, Whatsoever ye ask in prayer, believing, 
ye shall receive. We know that, right? Faith. Another condition of prayer is fellowship. Being in fellowship with God. John chapter 15, verse 7. It says, Jesus said, if you abide in me, and if my words abide in you, ye shall ask what you will, and it shall be done. So, there's fellowship. Can I tell you something? Young people, you're getting ready to go off to college, or you're getting ready to go into your field of work. And this applies to them, and it applies to every single one of us. Do not get outside of the umbrella of God's protection. Do not get outside of that umbrella of God's will. Do not get into sin. Do not get out of fellowship with God. Here's what happens too often. People get out of fellowship with God and they think that they can go and live their lives the way they want to. Yeah, God was a good thing when I was young. God was a good thing when I was a teenager. But man, I've got a whole great big world out there. And I'm going to go and I'm going to have my fun and sow my wild oats. And then I'll come back and get under that umbrella again. I'm going to tell you, most of the people never get back out under that umbrella again. They play with God. They play with sin. They play with God's will. They think their will is more fun, more satisfying, more fulfilling And they say, God, I'll take a break. I'll see you in a while. God says, don't do that. Then you know what happens? They get outside of that umbrella of the fellowship of God, and they get in a situation. I don't know what that situation is, but it happens all the time. And they get into a situation, and they need God, and then they pray. But no answer. Listen to me. No answer. And then they get upset with God. And they doubt God. Christian, do you want confidence in your prayer life? Then cultivate spiritual intimacy with God. Draw close to the Lord. Too often it is not a power problem, it's rather a connection problem. I was talking to one of my daughters. She's on an anniversary trip, and I was talking to her yesterday, FaceTime, and it just kept having a problem, connection problem. Do you know what James says? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Draw near to him. Become intimate with him. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 says that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. You know what the word dwell means? To make, your, uh, to make one feel at home. To make one feel at home. Dwell with Christ. Let him dwell in your heart. May he feel at home in your life. You think you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God and he's going to feel at home with you? Ain't happening. It's not happening. Good number of years ago, I went out and somebody had visited our church and it was a long time ago, so don't try to guess who it would be because you wouldn't guess in a hundred gazillion years. But I went into that house and as soon as I hit the door, it was a stench that was unbelievable. I mean, it reeked. They were excited to see me. Wish they hadn't have been, but they were. 
Come on in. I walked up. And I saw things that I did not want to see and smelled things I did not want to smell. Cat waste, dog waste, plates that had had to be days, maybe a couple weeks old that were on coffee tables. And I mean, it, I felt like a missionary. I'll put it that way. (laughs) A missionary to a tribal area. And I've been to some of the hardest areas in the world. They wanted me to feel at home. I didn't. They wanted me to hang out for a while. I did for a short time. I was not comfortable. Christian, you live a filthy life. Don't expect answered prayer. but rather cultivate spiritual intimacy with God. No intimacy with God, no power with God. But if you know, K-N-O-W, intimacy with God, you will know, K-N-O-W, power, the power of God. So to pray in God's will, there are some prerequisites. You want to know what they are? If you want to see God answer your prayer, you'll want to know. Here are some prerequisites for answered prayer. Number one, desire God's will. Desire God's will in your heart and in your life. Christian, hey, Christian, listen, listen, a question for you. When you desire him, I'm telling you, you will desire his will, not your own. Not your own. When you desire God's will in your life, you will then see answered prayer in your life. I want to tell you, too many Christians, they have more confidence in their own will than they do in God's will. I know Christians that they have more ambition to satisfy their lives in this world over here, which is Satan's domain, than they do to satisfy and find satisfaction in this world, which is God's domain. God always knows what is best. Always. I'm telling you, young people, desire with all of your heart, desire with all of your soul, desire God's will in your life. Second thing, you want to see prayer, answer prayer? Another prerequisite you got to discern God's will. Discern it. Now, there's two basic guidelines to discerning God's will. Number one, learn God's word. Learn God's word. God's word is filled with guardrails. Do you believe that? You know what's interesting to me? Too many believers do not want any standards and do not want any guardrails and don't tell me that... Let's think about this logically. Why does God set up guardrails? So we can have freedom. So we can have freedom. By the way, Christianity is not do, 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 and don't, 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 don't. That is not biblical Christianity, okay? It is not 
You can find churches that if you do these and don't do these, then you're in good standing with Christ. Not true. Not true. But you can find other churches, and by the way, you can find any church to match whatever lifestyle you want. Let me say that one more time. You can find any church in Cincinnati that will match any lifestyle that you desire. And you can find them and feel right at home, but it doesn't mean that you're under the umbrella of God's protection. So why does God set up guardrails? Well, well, let me ask you a question. Why why do you set up guardrails for your children? Just play anywhere you want. doesn't matter. You don't have to. You can go on the street if you want to. Um, Don't worry about it. Just have fun. You don't do that. God doesn't either. Why don't you do that? Because you love your kids. Why doesn't God do that? Because he loves his kids. God says right here, here's, stay away from these things so you can have freedom, freedom in your marriage, freedom at your workplace, freedom in your life. Think about it logically. Why, why doesn't the NFL just have the game played? Forget the guardrails, forget the lines, forget all that stuff. Just play anywhere. Throw the pass to good night. Throw it up in the stands if you want to. Just do whatever. Why do we get how foolish that is? But we don't understand that God has guardrails for us to live by so that we can be free in Him. God's Word is filled with guardrails. For example, God says don't marry an unsafe person. But I want them. I love them. God says, but don't. I'm telling you, it'll be a problem. 2 Corinthians 6.14, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? What fellowship is there? You know what people do? They come for counsel with their mind already made up. I mean, they do. They come for counsel, their mind's already made up, and all they want you to do as a pastor is to agree with them. And if you don't, then they don't like you anymore. They don't want to know what the Scripture says. They want an endorsement. God's will for your life will never contradict His Word. Never. Ever. God's Word. So, so how do we know how to pray in God's will? Learn God's Word. But the Bible doesn't always have an answer for everything we pray about, right? For example, I prayed about 30, 34 plus years ago, whether we should come and pastor this church or not. God, there was no scripture, not even in Hezekiah. There were no, some of you know your Bible, okay? The rest of you, go back, listen to it again, and try to figure it out. There was no answer in the Bible that told me whether I should come here to pastor this church or not. So, so what should I do? I, I, I was striving to learn God's word. So then, when God doesn't tell you yes or no, you lean on the Spirit of God. Learn God's Word, but lean on the Holy Spirit of God. Let Him guide you in different areas. If you're a child of God, He indwells you. And so, learn God's Word, lean on God's Holy Spirit. All right, so, 
Prerequisite number one, what are we to do? Desire God's will. Number two, discern God's will. Number three, you ready? And then do God's will. Do it. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Do God's will. Hey, question, question. If God clearly made his will known to you right now, would you do it? Would you do it? Some of you say, well, I'm not sure. Depends on what it is. I want to tell you something about God. God's not into Golden Corral type style of living, where it's cafeteria style. God doesn't say, you can pick and choose. If you like it, get it. If you don't, don't worry about it. Just get what you want. God's not like that. God wants to know, are you in with his will? Are you willing to do God's will? Are you saying, I'm all in, Lord? Because answered prayer involves surrender. And that's why a lot of Christian people don't get it because they never hear from God. But I'm telling you, God says, surrender to me, walk with me, let me be your Lord, Adonai, Master. You see, the absence of lordship keeps prayers unanswered. Listen to Colossians 3.17. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. You listening? Paul says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you? The Holy Spirit. If you're a child of God, the Holy Spirit lives in your life. He says, which you have of God, and you are not your own. You're not your own. You don't belong to you. Why? God tells us why. For you're bought with a price. I bought you. For you are bought with a price. And then he says this, because you were bought with a price, therefore glorify, glorify God in your body and in your spirit because they belong to God. Christian, God owns you. God owns you. God owns me. And that's why in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, for example, he speaks to wives and he says, Be the kind of wife I want you to be because I'm your Lord. Next verse, he says, Husbands, be the kind of husbands I've called you to be. Why? Because I'm your Lord. He goes on and he says, children, hey, children, he says, be the kind of kids I've called you to be. Why? Because I'm your Lord. He goes on the next verse, fathers, be the kind of dads I've called you to be because I'm your Lord. And then he even goes on and he says, be the kind of worker, employee that I've called you to be because I am your master. I'm your Lord. The more you and I surrender, the more we feel comfortable walking into the throne room of God and we see the prayers of God answered. John 15, verse 7, Jesus said, If you abide in me, and if my words abide in you, 
You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Last of all, the picture of prayer. The picture. We read with me in verse 15. I hope you have your Bibles. And if you know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. I want to give to you how that God answers our prayers. There are four ways. Okay, how does God answer our prayers? Number one, direct. What do I mean by that? A direct yes. Direct answer. It's funny, I study and I read and I read and I study and I pray and, and, and I try to get the message I believe God would have me to preach to you so that you'll grow and so that we'll grow together and, and, and I take that and I, it's very interesting because I, I look at this and I say here's some outlines and then I read and read and read some more and I saw hey this guy used the same outline this guy used the same outline See, I'll tell you why because for this one It's very interesting and very clear. God answers at times direct. He says yes. Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me and I will answer thee and I'll show you great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Let me give you an example for everyone. Remember when Peter's in prison? People were back at the house and you remember what they're doing? What are they doing back at the house? They're praying and they're praying and they're praying that Peter would be released and guess what? God brought about a miraculous release for Peter. And he's there knocking on the door. Man, I'm here. I'm here. Direct. There's a second way God answers at times, and that is he delays. Example, Mary and Martha. Think about this with me. Here's Mary and Martha. By the way, by the way, they're really good friends with Jesus. They have a brother. His name's Lazarus. He's a really good friend of Jesus. Not just an acquaintance, they're, they're, they're all friends. And Mary and Martha, they, they get word to Jesus and they tell Jesus that our brother, he's sick. Lord, come! You know what he did? He didn't answer him. Didn't even answer him. They send word again, our brother, he's sick, he's sick. And then they said, he's sick unto death. Remember what Jesus did? Didn't answer him. It's interesting. For two days, two days, he is so sick. Two days. And he's only two miles away, not two days a journey. Two miles away. And Jesus just did not come. He didn't come. You remember what happened. Lazarus died. Then Jesus shows up. Delayed, but he shows up. And he brought Lazarus from the grave. He said, Jesus said, to display his glory. To display his glory. Friend, if you are in distress, and if you don't know whether you're in distress or not, you're not in distress. 
But when you come to a place in your life when you are in distress, I'm telling you, do not let your distress drive you away. But make sure you allow your distress to draw you in. You remember old Jacob back there? Oh, Jacob had a brother, Esau. I mean, you don't mess with Esau. You know what I mean? He's a man's man. Jacob, ah, he's probably more of a mama's boy. Years went by, and after Jacob had deceived, again, he was a deceiver. He did that a lot in his life. He had deceived his brother so he could get the inheritance, and it worked. Esau's not too keen on Jacob anymore. Time comes where Jacob finds out. He's got wives, children, herds. Esau's coming. Esau's coming. Jacob gets really scared. Like petrified? You know what he did in his distress? He ran to God. Ran to God. Got serious with God. Thank God he got serious. And he got alone with the Lord, and he began to wrestle with the angel of God, and he wrestled, and he wrestled, and he wrestled. All night long he wrestled. You know why? He's in distress. Esau's coming. He's going to kill me. He's going to kill my family. He wrestles, and he prays, and he prays, and he wrestles. And the angel of God said, let me go. And Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. God bless that man. Because he got serious about God. He blessed him so much that he walked with a limp for the rest of his life. It was the limp of the blessing of God. It was the limp of God's hand upon him. God not only knows what is best, God knows when it is best. Listen, God is never late. God is never late. Delays are for a purpose. Delays are to prepare you for the situation, or it is to prepare the situation for you. And God at times delays, but I want to tell you, He is never, ever late. Never late. A lot of you ladies, you're probably like Joy was. She'd cook a big old uh, roast or put that meat in the oven and, and you would put it in that oven and let it cook and cook and cook and cook and you know what you do you pull it on out you stick something in it you stick a fork in it you want to see if it's done is it ready oftentimes I would see her take that fork out and slide that thing right back in the oven wasn't ready God knows when we are ready sometimes we're delayed we have delays. Sometimes God answers prayer different. Sometimes we ask and God grants it in a totally different way. Get example, Paul. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. You remember that? Second Corinthians, he had a, for, a, a thorn in the flesh. We don't even know what it was. Some people say it was a type of blindness, an a, a eye disease. And you know what? I don't know. You don't know. They don't know. <laughs> doesn't matter. I'm glad we don't know. You know why? Because if it was an eye disease, we'd all say, well, well, I don't have that, so it must, 
No, God doesn't tell us certain things because he wants us all to understand that you can have a lot of different thorn in, thorns in the flesh. And Paul had one. And you know what Paul did? The spiritual man, he prayed. God, take it away. He prayed again. God, take this away. Hey, if anybody knew how to pray, it was the apostle Paul. And God said to him, I'm not going to remove it. He didn't answer him the way he wanted it. Different he did. I'm not going to take it away, Paul. I'm going to show you what grace is all about. I will give you grace to live with it. God answers prayer in a different way sometimes. His way. Not our way. Number four. Denial. Denial. Sometimes God hears our prayer. And sometimes God says no. God hears every prayer. But sometimes he just flat out says no. For example, Paul, the missionary-minded man, he was such a godly man and he wanted to serve the Lord and he said, I'm going to uh, go and I'm going to Go up to Asia, and I'm going to be a missionary up to Asia. And, and you know what God said to him? I'm talking a missionary. God said, no. Don't want you to go to Asia. Come on over here to Macedonia. I want to close with a verse, and, and I want to ask you to stay with me, okay? Stay with me to the end. I will dismiss uh, families and graduates before we, everybody else is. But just stay with me. There's a verse in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. It's a doxology. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Notice the next phrase. According to the power that worketh in us. Do you see that phrase? According to the power. According to the power. That power. The power that we need. The power that you need. The power that works in us. Hey, what's the priority of your life? What is the priority of your life? God is not, listen to me, God is not interested in you giving him a weekly nod or a a weekly wink. God's not interested in that. Sometimes we live our life like we're doing God a big favor. Really? Don't wink at God once a week or give him a nod. I'm telling you, he wants your life. He wants your all. He wants your surrender. He wants to be Lord of your life. He wants to draw you in. And he wants to give you the power of God. And that power of God is available. God so wants to move mountains in your life. God so wants to move mountains in my life. God so wants to move mountains in churches like First Baptist of Glen Estee. Question, do you believe that? you believe that? Oh, how we need God's power. So I ask you today, do you of a mountain that needs to be moved. 
If you say, nope, not really, then just keep living. You will. Do you want to know how mountains are moved? By prayer. The battle belongs to the Lord. The battle is fought on our knees. When I was a teenager, I had a friend come to me and said, my dad's taken me and said I could take two other friends to the Indianapolis 500. Never been before. I said, I'm in. And man, it was amazing. I had never been. I was a rookie. And I remember coming down the main highway and getting close because I could hear from a distance the roar of the engines. But we got closer and closer and closer to the parking lot where we were going to park. Man, I'm telling you what, I mean, it was amazing. The roar of the engines, the power. We got out of our cars and began to walk past and through the parking lot up toward the racetrack. I will never in a million years, I'll never, I will never in my born living years here forget it. I mean, it was like taken and the uh, racetrack was back here and it was like you could just, your heart was pounding and all you could see was a flash of red or a flash of blue or whatever the car was and it was like, but man, you talk about getting right on inside of that racetrack where the action was. All of it. You want to know how too many Christians live their life? Back on the road from a distance. From a distance. They just know God is out there. Some people that live their lives like they're in the parking lot. Kind of exciting. But there are other Christians that live their lives inside the racetrack where the action is. The roar of the engine. The power of God. When we know from the track and when we have an intimate relationship with the King of Kings and we come because we're acceptable, we come because we have the access, we come and we ask and we know that God hears us and, and there's power at that throne. There's power in that throne room. All of a sudden, our lives take on a whole new dimension. And God says, just come closer. Closer. And watch me do exceeding abundantly above all that you would ever ask for or even think about. telling you we're living in an apathetic age we're living in a sinful world and an apathetic Christian world 
And I'm asking you and I'm asking of me that we get on the racetrack and begin to ask God to show us things we've never seen before. You know what I think? I think he will. You know why? Because he wants that. He wants his children right up beside him. You can climb right up on his lap if you want to. If you'll walk with him.